0: Well, we have been studying uh, communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, some people refer to it as the eucharist, which simply means to give thanks, the last 2 weeks. The first week we talked about the meaning of the Lord's supper and we recounted the fact that that during the last supper, the communion service or the Lord's supper was or the Lord's table was introduced, which was part of a Passover meal. Last week, we went through the various views of the Lord's Supper. We looked at the four major views of the Lord's Supper, and we said that there's even subdivisions within the views. And uh, I did not introduce to you yet a fifth view, which I won't today. I'm going to talk a little bit about it next week. And so there's your first commercial for coming next week. Um, this week, the title of the message is The Experience of the Lord's Supper. And, it, you know, if I was going to just do it as a standalone message, we, you know, we, we, we talked about the, the meaning of the Lord's Supper, that was, and then the, the, the views of the Lord's Supper, and i just filling in the blank, the experience of the Lord's Supper, but I might, I might really talk about it today in terms of thinking about it maybe in a different way. And so what we're going to do, we're studying Matthew's gospel, we're going to combine Matthew 26 account, which we just read, uh, with the Apostle Paul's teaching that came later on after Jesus ascended into heaven that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So you might say, well, what do you mean by the experience of the Lord's Supper? I mean, is there, is, we're supposed to experience something, and what I mean is, um, what is going on when we partake of the Lord's Supper. And I think there's a lot of stuff that we don't really either know about or think about that I'm hoping we're going to change our mind on a little bit today or a lot today. And so, but it's what's going on or what at least should be going on. So if you're taking notes, it's five points, way more than I normally do. I try to stick to three or less, but but five things I want us to look at what's going on at the Lord's Supper. Number one, at the Lord's Supper, we proclaim our unity. At the Lord's Supper, we proclaim our unity. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, the opening words, just say the opening five words, and as they were eating. We're just going to stop right there. And as they were eating, we said it was a bunch of guys at a table having a Passover meal. They're together and they are eating. Now we're going to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 17 through 20. And the Apostle Paul says this, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. So is he happy with what they're doing? No, he's not happy with what they're doing. Since you come together, remember that term, not for the better, but for the worse. Now there's A number of problems that are going on. We're going to talk about what those problems are. But a big problem is actually the fifth point of our message. But if I go that out of order, everybody's going to be crazy. But remember, the Bible writers are not so concerned with order and time, more concerned with themes than than we are as Americans. So the passage in 1 Corinthians sort of goes like this. This is what you're doing that's wrong. This is what needs to happen that's right. Right and if you did this before the lord's supper you would be doing it right instead of it wrong so really what's the fifth point should really be the first point but now i've already confused you <laughs> the problem is is that they are taking the lord's supper in an unworthy manner now forget that term just for a second You're normally i say lock it in your brain but forget that for a second He says, for first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. So, there's divisions in the church. So, he's when the prop, when the apostles speak, God speaks. So, God's not happy that there's divisions in the church. Why? Because he wants unity. He wants unity. And then he says, we read this last week, verse 19, for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. One of the ways you, you tell the true people of God is they're not coming to church and arguing with everybody every week. Some of you have come from churches. Well, all the people did was fight. I go, that might not even be a church. That might even be it because that's not, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Verse 20, therefore, he says, when you come together, second time it's mentioned, in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So they're participating in the Lord's Supper. they tell you, oh, yes, we're doing the Lord's Supper. And, and here the Apostle Paul says, guess what? You're not. You can call it whatever you want it. But it's not the Lord's Supper. Why? Because of the division in the church and because of the attitude that you have, which will be number five. Okay, But something they need to think of before they partake in. So the weekly Lord's Day services in the first century church was very different than ours. There's some calendar differences. I don't want to get into that. But very different than ours. Most of the early churches were primarily house churches where they would gather for worship. The teaching of God's word, they would sing, they would, wor- they would read the word of God, they would share the word of God, there may have been testimonies, we don't, we don't really know, they would be pray. And then they would have a meal. They would all sit down and eat a meal together. Now, in the first century, and in many of the cultures that some of you come from even today, eating a meal was a sign of intimacy and fellowship. And it was very, very, had a deep meaning, and so meals together seemed to be an important part of their, worshiping, of their worship gatherings. Now, let's just think about how they gathered. We think most of the churches were probably about 20 to 60 people, 30 to 50 people in size. But most of the people in the ancient world were fairly poor and didn't have a house big enough to accommodate uh, such a big crowd. And so they would typically get meet in some larger house. And then like in Matthew, they would have this meal, and what like Jesus was doing with the apostles in the upper room. And then during the meal or after the meal, what we call communion or the Lord's table would be observed. So right out of the box, let's think we're meeting in a house, we're eating a meal together, we're we're meeting in a house, we're worshiping, we're eating a meal together, and then we're partaking in the Lord's table. What does that tell us right now? Some of us are like, oh, we're not doing it the way we're supposed to. Well, sometimes I think we think a little bit too much about the mechanics, and the Apostle Paul is going to teach us, no, we're actually supposed to think about what's actually going on during this church ordinance. So right away... In terms of the first century church, let's let's discard the highly formal church-building communion that we are used to. So they typically would meet in this house of this wealthy person. And uh, it, it appears in 1 Corinthians, if you study the whole thing, that before some of the people got there, um, the rich people were kind of, there was food and there was wine and they were kind of eating all the food and partaking of the wine, and maybe having a little bit too much before let's what's what was called the working class people or the slaves or the household help uh, arrived and so maybe what was happening was the people with money who could come whenever they wanted, not when their boss let them out of work, perhaps they were beginning to uh, you know kind of st- cluster by themselves, being selfish with the food and and the wine and what may be happening was it seems to be there was a creation of a class distinction where the rich people hung out with the rich people and the working people hung out with the working people. And, and so by doing this, what are they doing? They are destroying the whole idea of one body of Christ. In chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says that the church is one loaf or, the, or they are one bread. And so in effect, what are they doing they're destroying the gospel witness, we'll talk more about that in a second, to people. I mean, how would you like to do, go to a church, and, and you arrive at the door, and they go, uh, how much do you make? And you go, well, the greeters are like, welcome, how much do you make? <laughs> and you're like, well, why would you ask me that? Well, where you sit depends upon how much you make, you know, or, or what we let you eat or not eat depends upon what you make. So, there's this distinction that seems to be growing in the Corinthian church. Now, Matthew says in his gospel, now remember, Matthew was there with Jesus. He was there. He says, while they were eating, three times we just read that the Apostle Paul uh, says, when you come together. and, And so, and he mentions it two more times in the same chapter. Yet, he says, you come together, but he reprimands their division. He reprimands their lack of unity. He's like, well, some of you, you're, you're all about yourselves. You've segregated yourselves. You're, you're avoiding people. There's a party spirit. Uh, some of you are selfish. Some of you are just, you know, you don't want any part of what's going on. That's, that's not the gospel. Again, imagine your friend, how they would be turned off by, by such a thing. Now, now, why is that wrong? That's the way the, the culture is. That's the way the world is. It's segmented a lot by class distinctions, but the people of God are to be united, not divided. Now, different opinions are okay. That's not what we're talking about here. It's okay to have different opinions, but we are to be united in Christ. So let's just say, call this what it is. It's not a failure to gather. I think that if he was writing today, that's what he'd be talking to about the American church right, our inconsistencies in our gatherings, but it's not a failure to gather, but it's a failure to be what? To be the new people of God. He said, I've made new people, God has made us into new people, and when you continue with those class distinctions, I'm better than this person, I'm better than that person, then what happens is you're not the new people of God. So what they're doing in attitude and in deed is destroying unity, and what does that show? That shows a very low value of the church that Jesus died for. And that's why sometimes, you know, that says in Hebrews that we're supposed to, you know, be more regular in our gathering. We have to really remember that. And I'm not trying to be mean to anybody, but when we gather, we show not only that, you know, just churches for me, but, but churches for, we have a high view of why God's people gather together. So it's important to see that at the Lord's Supper, um, (laughs) if it's not the Lord's Supper, as he said, right, we, we need to make some changes. And a lot of times in American Christianity, I'll be more charitable than I was last Wednesday when I brought this up. In American Christianity, it's like this, well, it's all about me and my relationship with Jesus, so last Wednesday night, I said, um, I have one word for that, barf. But I won't say that this day, even though I just said it. Uh, but, but a lot of people are like, oh, it's about me and my personal relationship uh, with Jesus. But that's missing a lot of the point. The Lord is building unity among his people. And so the Lord's table, we call this sometimes the Lord's table, visibly declares and proclaims our unity. That God can take a very diverse group of people and unite us in a bond of love because we love Jesus and we love one another. I know when I first went to a church like ours, you know, when I was uh, in my 20s, that's what so appealed to me. The people were so different, yet there was something that united them. It took me a little while to figure it out, but it was definitely different than anything I had experienced. So that's number one. Number two. At the Lord's Supper, we remember the cross. At the Lord's Supper, we remember the cross. Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 26 and 27. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now, remember when we studied this another time, we said the word is is not in the Aramaic, which was the primary language that they spoke. So it may read more like this, take, eat, this my body, or this is representative of my body, or this is pointing to my body. Verse 27, then he took the cup and gave thanks, gave thanks, he Eucharisted, okay, gave thanks, and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Now we move to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 25. He says, For I receive from the Lord, he's done with the the reprimanding section, for I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Now that language to me makes it seem like it's common teaching. Like he's been going through the Roman Empire, that's what he did, starting churches, preaching the gospel, telling people about how to have their sins forgiven in eternal life. And when he would institute this ordinance with them, he would just he would say, this is what I, I got it from the Lord. I didn't make this up myself. I passed it on to you. So it was common knowledge. This is what the churches that he started and the ones that came spawned off of those churches. That's what they were supposed to be doing. So he said, that which I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You got to bank those words. You got to bank those words. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So how many times did he say in remembrance of me? Two times. Two times. When the Lord says something two times, what do we do? We listen extra carefully. Now, some of the wives are like, I wish my husband would do that. Okay? Well, ladies, it's for you too. Well, some of you don't have to agree with me. Ladies, like, amen. Right? Okay, you don't have to do that. But, 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 but here's the thing. If the Lord tells us something twice, we have to pay very, very careful attention to it. Now, this is what's very interesting to me. A lot of people have a lot of discussions about Communion. You know, if you really want to ruin a good Thanksgiving dinner, say to everybody, so what's your opinion of of communion, right? And you'll get all the different things that will come out of the woodwork. All different kinds of opinions. We went through some of the views last week about what it is, what it isn't. Yet there's one command. One. That's it. We complicate these things like I can't believe. One command. And what is that? He says, remember. Remember. That's the only thing he tells us that we need to do is to remember. And so Jesus gives us this sacrament. I prefer the word ordinance uh, to remember the cross and the deliverance like the Passover through him. We talked about that again in the first week, two weeks ago. Now, uh, in this way, it's very interesting to me. This is why the Bible is timeless. This when he says to remember, And to participate in the Lord's table to remember, boy, is he really targeting Americans. You're like, how did he know? Because he's Jesus. He knows these things. He's the Lord. He knows these things. Because this may sound very strange. Because are any of you busy? We lead such busy lives, correct? And the church can be so much about busyness. We can be doing so much stuff. That's why, you know, I, I don't like to have a billion events. First off, it burns out the staff to a crisp. and so. But then we're just busy with church stuff. We're busy with church stuff. And, the, and, and, the, and here's really what happens. The Lord says, listen, everything gets so busy that the Lord's Supper is designed to help us remember the cross. In other words, we need a reminder to remember the cross. We're that busy. Everybody's that busy. Now, sadly, and I don't mean to sound too overly critical, and I'll be up on the soapbox in a minute, but not quite yet. Um, if you listen to America's most famous preachers and most famous, read most, America's most famous Christian authors, it seems like many of them have actually forgotten. There is not a lot of crosstalk. There is not a lot of crosstalk. And that's the thing he says in the, in the Lord's Table, we are to remember. So at the Lord's Table, we remember and partake, As a way to honor Christ and what he did for us. Both individually. If you are a follower of Jesus. If you're here, you're not a follower. We're so glad that you're here. We rejoice in what he did for us. And we honor him. What he did for us individually. But also corporately. As a group of people. We are thankful and honor him for that. Now what I love about this is the simplicity of it. I don't know about you. But to me, life just keeps getting more complex and more complex and more complex. And I've really come to love things that are simple and and, and, and not so complex. And it's one thing that I see in, in many of the older saints. Uh, you You can figure out whether you're one of them or not. I'm not going to say that, but maybe by what I say. But one of the things I I see and love and appreciate about many of the older saints in our congregation is their love for the simplicity of the cross. I mean, I've had so many of them come to me and they say, you know, Pastor Jim, I I love the church. I love the people. Um, I, I, I love everything about it. I love the way you preach. I love the way you take things and make it simple. But what I really love is that every week you bring us to the cross somehow. I just love that you do that. And that really changed for me when I taught 1 Corinthians, when he said, you know, when I came to you, I pretended to know nothing but Jesus and Jesus Christ crucified. And it's not like he didn't know anything else. People say to me, where should I park my car? I don't go, I don't know. I only know about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I don't do that. Where's the bathroom? Sorry, don't know, right? I don't, I don't do that. But, but that really changed my whole attitude towards towards preaching. And it's interesting to me, Some of the most childlike faith I see is in the older followers of Jesus, people who love the message of the cross, and they'll say, Why I come, really, Pastor Jim, is because I know each week you're going to take us there. Love that. And um, they love to remember. Number three. Now, here's where it's going to maybe have to make a little bit of a mind shift. We're going to start to change a little bit. At the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the gospel. At the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the gospel. Matthew 28, 28. Jesus says, For this is the, uh, my blood of the new covenant. If you haven't underlined that, you might want to underline it already. Which is shed for many for the remission of sins. We just read in 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-five, 25, where he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So both record the new covenant language. And in 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-six. 26, He says, for as often as you uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So what are we doing? We are proclaiming. We are proclaiming. So at communion, when we celebrate communion, we remember the Lord's death on the cross and that it ushered in the new covenant. It ushered in the new covenant the covenant of the grace of God. It's not a based upon what you do or you don't do. It's putting your trust in what Jesus did at the cross and that you will be forgiven. We are saved by grace, not of works. Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter two. So Jesus dies on the cross in our place for our sins, in your place for your sins, in my place for our sins. And the gospel is simply this. If you will turn to God, you turn to God. You're going your own way. And you finally turn around to him and go, I, I know I'm going my own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. I turn to God. I look up at the cross. And instead of trusting in myself, saying I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person, I know that I'm going to go to heaven if I put my trust in Jesus Christ. When you do that, you enter into that new covenant and you have the forgiveness of sins before God you will have eternal life in heaven and that is the gospel and the word gospel simply means good news that is the good news so when we participate in the Lord's table we are proclaiming he says right here you proclaim the Lord's death you proclaim you and I proclaim the good news now some of you are saying okay that's fine I get it who the heck am I proclaiming it to well, there's a few different groups of people that you're proclaiming it to. Number one, you are proclaiming it to the, don't look around. You are proclaiming it to the unseen world. Some of you are looking around. <laughs> okay, I call them the unseen world because you can't see them. Do, 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 right? You can't see them. So you're proclaiming the gospel to them when we participate in the Lord's supper. He said it right here. He said, you proclaim the Lord's death. That's what you're doing. Who else do we proclaim it to? Okay. Now some of you are like, I want to look. All right. Now look around. You're proclaiming it to one another. We're proclaiming it to one another. You're also proclaiming it to yourself. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, again, I'm glad you're here, man. Glad I'm so glad that you're here. That's how we all started. That's how we all started. We weren't followers. We became followers. See, we're also when we partake of this, we're also proclaiming the good news to you. We're also proclaim, proclaiming the gospel to you that because of Jesus Christ, what He did on the cross and His beating death, rising from the dead, that you too can have the forgiveness of sins. And eternal life, if you will simply do what Jesus said, you will repent and believe. To repent is to turn. To believe is trust. It's open to you. It's an invitation to you. If you will, communion is an acted out drama of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's very rare in the sense that it is church drama that God approves of. He normally does not like church drama. (laughs) But this is one he likes. This is one he likes. John six thirty five. Jesus said, "I am the bread of life." We said in a previous study that in the ancient world, bread meant life. That's how. You, that's what you ate. If you weren't rich, that was the food that was available to you. And so, Jesus is the bread of life for all who put their trust in Him. What, what does that mean? We live because He died. That's what that means. We live because he died. And when we partake of the Lord's table, we proclaim that message. Number four, at the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the second coming. At the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the second coming. Look at Matthew 26, 29. Jesus speaking at the Last Supper in the upper room. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on, until that day. So he's looking far out until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. 1 Corinthians 11:26 again. We're going to emphasize different words in this verse. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death when till he comes. Till he comes. So at the Lord's table, we are proclaiming the second coming. What we do now, what we call the Lord's table communion, whatever name you want to put on it, is only temporary. We're only going to do this until he comes. So while we look back and remember the cross, while we look back and we rejoice, we look forward to the second coming and the great messianic banquet where it's not going to be just some matzo and some grape juice or, you know, bread and wine or something like that. We're going to be with the Lord, man. And we are going to be stuffing our face. We're not going to gain any weight. We're not going to get full, right? We're not going to have to take Pepsit or anything like that or Tums, right? The young people are like, what's that? Okay, and so we're going to have to do any of that stuff. We're just going to be enjoying that messianic banquet, So the cross is not the end at all. It is the beginning of the end, which will be a new and glorious beginning. And so at the Lord's table, at the Lord's supper, we proclaim that second coming. We proclaim our great anticipation of that. Okay, number five. Number five is the real mindset I think a lot of us have to make. Again, some of you are going to think I'm crazy. That's okay. I don't care. But it's, a, but it's really a change, and for me, it's a very emotional change, because I think that a lot of people are missing this. Remember we said that, that the apostles are not so uh, in order the way Americans are, not so systematic, so I'm going through the passage in First Corinthians and Matthew, in order, but really, what he's going to talk about in number five, the Apostle Paul, should really be number one. So remember the, how the passage in Corinthians goes. What you're doing is wrong. This is what's right. And then he tells them, if you did this, if you, did, if you thought about this before you did the wrong stuff, you would be right. And so that's the order of the way he's talking about them. But I think sometimes we think what comes next is what communion is all about. And it's actually not. So at the Lord's Supper, we reflect on our relationship with Christ. That's number five. At the Lord's Supper, we reflect on our relationship with Christ. Uh, Matthew 26, 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So here's the deal. They're with Jesus. They're his boys. They're in the upper room. They're having the last supper with them. And so they decide they're going to go out to the Mount of Olives. Uh, They sung a hymn and they're going out. And in the next section, which we touched on a little bit a few weeks back and we'll look at in a little bit more detail next week, uh, Jesus tells Peter, uh, You're going to deny me. It's only going to be tonight. It's going to be a long time. It's not like you're going to have to wait a long time for this, Pete. No, it's going to just be tonight, a couple hours. Don't worry about it. Right? And he's like, No way, man. Are you kidding me? Sorry, God, you're wrong. I know you would never tell God he's wrong, but, but we do. And then all the other disciples go, all the other apostles go, yeah, ain't not us either. Not us either. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Wrong again, Jesus. Eh, sorry. Sorry. You were good up till now, but you're wrong. What are they full of? Pride. They think that they're tighter with Jesus than they really are. Now, Jesus is tight with them, but they think their faith is a lot bigger than it really is. And so Jesus, like he does with a lot of us, does with me quite a bit, has to take us down a few notches. 1 Corinthians chapter eleven, twenty-seven 27 through 29, he says, therefore. Remember when it's therefore, we ask, what's it there for? Therefore, because you were doing what you're doing is wrong, therefore, because what I showed you the right way to do it, and what's really going on at communion, therefore, this is how you correct this. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner, oh, we have to remember that, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But, word of contrast, so listen, he's saying, you know, if if you don't want to take it in an unworthy manner, if you don't want to be guilty... Okay, you don't want to be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but let a man examine himself. And so if you do this, whatever that examine yourself means, let a man examine himself. And we might say, if he does, so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. So if you examine yourself, you look at what's going on, and you're not like the Corinthian church, then partake, then partake. For, or a lot of times that word in the Bible means the same as our word, because, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, says it again, eats and drinks judgment on himself, not discerning, not figuring out, not understanding the Lord's body. So let's just recap a couple things that we've been talking about and just really solidify them here. Matthew's account, one of the gospel accounts, is a historical account. Matthew was there. He was there. He's writing, I was there. This is how it went down. And, it, and so we were there. We finished. We sang a hymn, most likely Psalm 118 or somewhere, Psalm 113 and 118, the Passover uh, psalms they would sing. And then the next section, he's going to say, Jesus told us that we would deny him. They, they go, no, Jesus, you've got to be kidding me. They're, 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 we're, not, we're never going to deny you. Although, they participated in the Lord's Supper. Although, they sing the songs. Were any of you just singing? Yeah. So he let them participate in the Lord's Supper. He let them sing the song with him. But yet he knew that they were going to sin and they were going to deny him. So how, do, how are they going to deny him? <clears throat> Excuse me. With their life and with their lips. They're going to deny him both in that way. Now that's, that's Matthew. Eyewitness account. 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul is a teaching section. He's teaching us the right way to think about these things. And he says we should maybe take a moment or maybe we're doing it all week long. Great idea to do this regularly, and we should examine ourselves. Now, here's the, here's the interesting thing about it. How, what does that mean? We've got we to think this through. In 1 Corinthians, it really means how we take the Lord's Supper, how, how, how we're going about it. And not so much in mechanics, but in attitude. He says, You're coming. You're not unified and, and you're pushing ahead of people and you're not caring about other people. And when you do it that way, right? Are you really aware of your division? Are you really aware of your lack of unity? Are you aware of the gospel? Are you aware of, of what you're doing in this moment of the Lord's table that you are proclaiming the Lord's death? Are you really aware of that? Are you really aware that you're saying, we're doing this now, but man, oh man, oh man, he's coming back and it's going to be way better than this. Are you aware of that? Are you thinking about that? Are you thinking about your relationship with Jesus Christ or not? Are you definitely aware of such a thing? Now, clearly, the Lord's Supper is for believers. People have put their trust in Jesus Christ. But perhaps... Is the Apostle Paul also suggesting in an ordinance that is meant to honor the Lord Jesus, if we're not careful and we're not thinking people, we can really be too casual about it. Or we can just be going through the motions and not giving any thought to what is going on at all. Kind of falling into our rut in our routine. This is why we talked about last week the doctrine of it's okay to take it without faith and it's still good for you was and is still highly disputed. Because a lot of people would say that is isn't an unworthy manner. That you just don't walk up there and not think about it. For example... And I've told you this, I did this many times in my youth. Some, some Sundays going to church, you know, go, some, some weeks as an altar boy going, going to church seven days a week. I don't even go that many now. <laughs> but I took communion many times without obeying the command to remember. I don't remember. I was doing a thing, man. You know? Just just going up and going down. I remember my parents, I said last week, my parents were like, just do it, it's good for you. I'm like, how's it good for me? I'm thinking about my baseball game tomorrow. I'm I'm not thinking about that. In fact, he says two times, if we participate in an unworthy manner, we may come under verse 29, divine judgment. So fair to say this whole section is about, in this section of 1 Corinthians, remember we moved through three sections, this whole section is about unworthy manner and examining ourselves. Now, here's where we import just our own thinking into this. But what does he mean? What is he telling the Corinthian church about this? Well, first, let's address the absolute terrible misunderstanding that has plagued the church for centuries. And I still know a lot of people in our congregation, I would say, are still having a tough time with. And again, you might think I'm nuts, or you might, in the next few minutes, experience tremendous freeing healing. What is it that has this terrible misunderstanding that has plagued the church for centuries, he says an unworthy manner. He doesn't say unworthy people. And a lot of people at the Lord's table have become, because they think of unworthy people, have become so introspective that they've made it about who? themselves. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say, do this in remembrance of you. He didn't say, do this in remembrance of your sin. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this because of what I did for you. Because if you miss that, you're going to miss the whole thing. So do this in remembrance of me. It's because if we don't, we're missing points one through four. We've completely missed it. We've blown them out of the water. We're not about unity. We're not about the gospel. We're not about the cross. We're not about the second coming. We're about who? Us. And you watch people. This is so dear to my heart. Year after year after year dragging themselves up to the front. Because they think they're so unworthy. When Jesus Christ has made you worthy. And we should be going up to that table going, yes, yes, yes. And looking at that cross going, I love you, man. I love you for what you've done for me. But so many of us are so focused on our unworthiness. And we're totally missing the joy of what God intended this to be. And the wonderful proclamation that we are making when we do this. It's not what he says. He says it's an unworthy manner. Now, I would agree that without repentance and without remembering, right, is unworthy. But so is without glorying in the gospel. Because without those things, you and I are missing the point of the Lord's table. I would say this. If you love your sin more than you love Jesus Christ, that's an unworthy manner. I would say if you don't care about your sin, that's an unworthy manner. So the Lord says we are to examine, but not your worthiness. You are to examine your position in Christ due to the cross. You are to examine why we are doing what we are doing. In the context of 1 Corinthians, he's saying to them, listen, man, you need to examine your attitude. You need to examine your attitude towards the table and towards your brothers and sisters in Christ that you participate with. Why is that so important? Because the Lord's Supper is a time of covenant renewal between God and his people. And when he talks about discerning the elements, he's saying this bread, this cup, This points to not your sin. This points to the king on a cross. This points to what he has done for you. This point, this to what he has done for us as a church. This points to the price he paid for the forgiveness of sins. And those who don't care about the cross, those who don't care about the king, they are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Those who think that communion is some magic thing or won't come in faith and trust or won't reflect on what Jesus did for us on the cross, they come in an unworthy manner. And if you're here again and you're not a follower of Jesus, again, I'm thrilled that you are here. Please come up and see me after the service today. Please, please, please. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. I was super paganized for a long time. Don't don't feel bad about it. But this is hard. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, to fail to turn to God and put your trust in Jesus, who is God's provision for the forgiveness of our sins before God, and then fail to come to the Lord's table, Jesus and the apostles say, you, you will experience God's judgment because you haven't let Jesus take God's judgment for you. The Lord's Supper is not just some reenactment of the last supper and it's not exclusively about the cross in the moment jesus meant it as a constant reminder of and an experience of what jesus dying on the cross means for us personally Where to think do i really have a relationship with jesus or do i not The Lord's table is meant as a wonderful reminder to a follower of Jesus. Not of our sin, but of God's wonderful grace. And this is what grieves my heart. For so many people, the Lord's table has become a table of condemnation when it's meant to be a table of assurance. We're not to walk up here as condemned sinners. We are to come up here and say, he stood condemned in my place. And when I partake of this, I proclaim my, the glo- my gratefulness and the glory of that Loved ones, you don't don't have to get rid of your sin in order to partake. Yes, we need to repent. Yes, we need to want to get rid of our sin. Yes, we want to ask God to help us. But we come to the table because we are sinners. As a matter of fact, if you're not a sinner or you don't think you're a sinner, don't you dare walk up here. You're not invited. This is a table that invites sinners. It's not for perfect people. The perfect one throws a dinner for sinners. Only sinners are invited to the Lord's table because it is a glorious celebration of what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. The way to receive and experience grace at the Lord's table is to recognize that it is a table of life-giving grace, not a table where you dwell endlessly upon how you fall short. The Lord's table also shows us that at the cross, Jesus Christ has created a new people of God, the church, the family of God. Together we love Jesus and we love one another Together we share the good news with the world and we wait with joy and expectancy for Jesus' return. So my dear friends, we're going to take a moment and just a minute and we're going we're gonna to examine ourselves, but man, you can do that real quickly and you can do that every week before you come to church and you can do that every day. But just don't, so you don't feel like you didn't do it, we're going to take a minute and we're going to do that. But then, Jesus says, come to my table. Come to my table. Oh, we come with reverence, but we also come with gratitude. We come with expectancy. We come with, we come with love. We come with outrageous joy. We come joyfully celebrating the grace of past rescue from our sins. We come joyfully celebrating the present feeding and sustaining and strengthening grace that we experience through the power of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit now. And we come joyfully celebrating the joy of the Lord's Supper that is to come that will be great and will be glorious and all who put their trust in him will be there. Well, let's pray.